0: Well, as we begin a new series today, as I said, it'd be really helpful to have your Bible open or your Bible app there, so Colossians chapter 1. There's also an outline on the back of the news, and there are some translation points there in Dinker and Crean, if that's of assistance to you. But let's ask God, who's the ultimate giver of help. Gracious God, we thank you so much that as we come to your Word right now, we do so not by our own power, our own might, our intellect, but in your strength. So, Lord, please, in the power of your Spirit, be at work in us, that we might more readily, more clearly see the hope that's secured for us, that we might grow in our knowledge of your will, and that the priorities of our lives might increasingly fall into line with your mission priorities. And so we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. There was nothing particularly impressive about the town of Colossae. Economically, it was really a second-rate market town, it hadn't been an important trading hub for some centuries by the time that Paul and Timothy write this letter. Architecturally, we don't know of any important structures. In fact, the whole town was likely destroyed in an earthquake in the early 60s, that's By the way, 60s of the first century, not the 1960s, in case you're thinking about that. And actually, until this year, 2022, no one has really even bothered upon embarking an excavation of the town. Uh, Culturally, it wasn't distinctive. It was a fusion of just about every religion imaginable of the time. And size, its population, had long been diminished and dwarfed by neighbouring towns. Uh, The reason that we know about Colossae has nothing to do with its economics, architecture, cultural distinctiveness or its size, but because a Colossian, by the name of Epaphras, likely made a trip to Ephesus, heard the Gospel, became a believer and planted a church back home. That's it. Now Paul, Paul who is in prison in Ephesus, or possibly Rome, having heard reports about the Colossian church, but isn't able to visit because he's in prison. He does two things: he prays for them, and he writes to them. See, the reason that we know about Colossi was because of a people who had heard the gospel and radically responded with their lives to follow Jesus, and an imprisoned fellow who sends a letter with the great aspiration that they would keep on walking in the way of the Lord, pleasing Him in every way. That's what we see in verse 10. This is Paul's great aspiration for the church of the Colossians. Verse 10, that you may live, that word can also be translated as walk, that you may walk a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way every way you hear that there's not a part of our lives which is off limits now before feeling really crushed by the weight of that it's important to note that when paul says live a life worthy the implication really clearly is not that we earn our worth that you need to please god in order that you might be seen as worthy in his eyes no but because you have been made worthy through jesus paul's going to go to great extent throughout the letter to emphasise that and concretely establish that, keep on walking in the way that you have begun. So the image here that Paul is using, I find incredibly encouraging, is that the Christian life is not to run, jump or soar, and I know that he uses the image of race elsewhere, but right here, it's not to run, jump or soar, but to walk one step at a time following Jesus. The gospel with which you began, that Jesus is Lord, is the same gospel with which you are to continue step by step. Now, the Colossians, to whom Paul writes, were under constant pressures to deviate from following Jesus. We, we don't know the precise nature of those pressures that they faced. There's all sorts of debate about that. But what we do know is that as they sought to walk with the Lord, they were being pushed and pulled in many directions. There were all sorts of pressures. Some were insisting that the Colossian Christians needed to adopt Jewish religious practices in order to be saved. Others were saying that the Colossian Christians needed to seek a greater and an additional spiritual type of knowledge to be saved. But Paul says, don't conform to those things, conform to Jesus. Walk with him. And so Paul begins the letter by reminding the Colossians of the resources available to them to walk with the Lord. We follow Jesus one step at a time with gospel hope spiritual wisdom and kingdom priorities so first we follow jesus with gospel hope would you look with me at verse three we always thank god the father of our lord jesus christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in christ jesus and the love you have for all god's people the faith and love that spring forth from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. This is incredibly encouraging. Paul is so thankful to God for the Colossians, and we see that he's thankful to God for the Colossians for three things. So first, you'll see, for their faith in Christ, and right here, that doesn't mean some sort of abstract idea of of trust. It means that he's thankful for their faithfulness which is evident in action and attitude reflecting Jesus. The second thing that he's thankful for is for the love of all God's people. Just imagine, who is out of that list? All God's people. So that means how they demonstrated God's love in the context of Christian community. If if you've been part of a Christian community for more than three minutes and more than three people, you know that loving all God's people sometimes can actually be pretty hard. That's the first two things he's thankful. And the third, which I want to come back to in more detail in a moment, is he's thankful for the hope that they have stored up. So the Colossians, they really have a great reputation. It's quite a stark contrast to some of the things that Paul has to say to some of the other churches in his other letters. But this is not just Paul cheering the Colossians on, saying, go, you good things, you're nailing this. He's quick to identify, point out, and remind us that the cause of their faithfulness and love is not ultimately due to their efforts, but because of the hope stored up for them in heaven as heard in the true gospel. So the hope that they have is objective. It comes from outside of them. That hope is the grounds and the cause for their faithfulness and love. Don't miss that connection. So they don't have certain hope because of how well that they're doing, but they're powered to a life of faithfulness and love because of the rock-solid hope that is not their doing, but God's. So quick implication, that means that if any fruit is ever witnessed in the life of a church or a Christian, it means that the, the power and the cause is not the goodness that springs forth from within us, but all the dots connect back to the certain hope we have in the Lord. Now, I want you to know just how much effort Paul goes to to make this point. He not only says that their faithfulness and love spring forth from their hope, he not only says and does some history and traces the back and the cause of that all the way to the change that was evidenced when they received the gospel, he not only points out that this isn't particular to them, but it's actually the universal effect of the gospel going out and throughout the world. But look at the way he describes the hope. It is stored up for them in heaven. It means that they have a future of immeasurable goodness that is secured by God Himself. They have a future that is not dependent on how well they're doing by their efforts, but by the goodness of God and who they have made them, who He's made them to be. So gospel hope is not wishful thinking, but confident expectation. I heard of a story recently of a couple who were really looking forward to watching the football grand final together but unable to watch it together live. They agreed that they were going to avoid all the news, all the social media about the game in any way, in any detail, but especially the result. And then they would rendezvous later on in the day and watch it together. Well, all the preparation for that was going really well. They had avoided all of the news but then one of the husband's mates just let out the result and told him how the game actually ended. Not wanting to spoil it for his wife, he decided that he wouldn't tell her that he knew the result of the game, but instead he said that when they sat down finally to watch the game, their experience of it was completely qualitatively different. He said, whilst she sat On the edge of the sofa, stressed out from the turmoil of each play of the game, each nail-biting moment, he said he just sat back and relaxed, (laughs) felt an entire piece throughout the entire game. Why? Because he knew how the game was going to end. Now, when Paul speaks to the Colossians, He's not only combating some of the false teaching that was likely going around the time, which suggested that the Gospel that they heard was deficit or incomplete or insufficient, but he's also encouraging them to keep on digging deeper into how glorious their certain hope is. Because it's only the Gospel in which you will find a sure and solid foundation. If you're wondering where your ultimate help lies, just think about for a moment that if everything was caving in, what would be the one thing that you would need to hold on to in order to be okay? What would be the one thing? If your property portfolio all came crashing down, what would be the one thing? That was means you're okay. If your health went haywire, what would be the one thing that would make you okay? This is such an important encouragement to us, but also to the Colossians, who only just a few years later, in fact, perhaps even less than a few years later, an earthquake would rock the region. And that town, Colossi, was likely destroyed. And in the aftermath of that, whilst so many of the towns around them were rebuilt, Colossi never was. There were people around the Colossians questioning their salvation, saying to the Colossians, Christ is not enough. You need to grasp something else or have this experience, in order to be saved. But Paul is emphasising, no, your hope is certain. Your hope is certain because it's mostly looking back in the rear view mirror of what Jesus has already done. So look at how Paul unpacks the dimensions of that hope in verses 12 to 14, how he describes it. He says, God has qualified us, to share in the inheritance of his holy people. God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness into his kingdom of light. God has redeemed us through the forgiveness of sins. Notice it's all past tense. That's what you have when you trust in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. You're qualified. You're rescued. You're redeemed. It's such good news. The gospel, of course, in the first century wasn't just something used by Christians to describe Jesus, but it was something that was pronounced when there was a new king to whom you owed allegiance. The gospel went out that there was a new emperor in town and you owed your allegiance to them. And so Paul wants us to see clearly that the true gospel is not just that there is a new king, but the ultimate king who is enthroned right now and will return to bring his kingdom to completion, has qualified, rescued, and redeemed you so that you are part of that kingdom. That's the reality. That's the news. Jesus is Lord is not just a slogan. I want you to imagine right now that if on these screens up the front, and if you're joining us online, if the screen would switch right now, that in this moment, that the guys at the back are doing an incredible job, they could just press one button and they could switch us into the live feed of the throne room of heaven. Imagine that, okay? If we could just switch into the live feed of the throne room of heaven. What we would see, if we could do that, anytime we want, is we would see Jesus enthroned right now, ready to return one day. That's what we would see. That's the reality right now. Now, I wish that when I picked up my phone and I unlocked my phone, the first thing I saw on that page, on the home page, was a little live feed into the throne room of heaven to remind me of the king who is enthroned. But you know what? Because I can't look at my phone in that way, I've got to instead have that reality alive in my heart. Because it's that reality which will radically change my priorities. Second, we follow Jesus with spiritual wisdom. Verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. In light of the gospel hope that Jesus Lord, the thing that Paul and Timothy yearn for the Colossians so that they'd walk in a way worthy of the Lord, is not more knowledge, but knowledge of God's will. So countercultural that The thing we should seek is not more knowledge, primarily, but knowledge of God's will. I just want you to note how emphatic and committed Paul is to this. He says, They haven't stopped praying since the day they heard continually, so not a once-off, continually asking God to fill them. So he's not saying that they are incomplete or deficit in some way and they need to be topped up. He's saying, I want you to be growing into the fullness of Christ. So I want you to hear the subtext. Colossians, my dear Colossians, in light of the secure hope you have of the gospel that Jesus is Lord of all, what you need more than anything, as you set off and continue this walk, is this. You need knowledge of God's will. That's what we need. Of course we do, because it's the Lord's will that ultimately matters. You're facing challenges. You've got choices to make. Temptations to resist. that the object of our lives wouldn't be to look within and find the authentic me or achieve my will or that of others, but that we need the knowledge of God's will to discern what's true, to discern what's false, to discern what's next, to discern what's not. And the one who gives it, it's not a mystery, is the Spirit whom God has gifted to every believer. At the time when Paul and Timothy were writing, one of the problems they were uh, likely facing and Paul is addressing was probably the very early form and emergence of Gnosticism. It, It seems that there were people at the time promising the Colossians that there was a fuller knowledge or some sort of extra secret knowledge that had the power to make them superior spiritually but that's not what paul is praying for let's be clear this is not a special knowledge above the scriptures this is not a special knowledge to make you greater there's not a special knowledge to make you spiritually superior that you need to muster up the strength and earn paul is saying that true spiritual insight is not more knowledge but the very knowledge of god's will Of course, Paul's not saying that we can't learn God's will from the Scriptures, nor is he saying that there is special knowledge from the Spirit that would contradict the Scriptures, but that if we are to walk faithfully, we've got to hunger and be growing in hunger for what God wants. I remember some years ago when a visiting mission team from a Bible college in Brisbane came and visited St. Bart's. We had a wonderful time them and at the very end of the week we all sat down for a debrief which was fun and we asked them what what did you learn what was encouraging what do you think could be improved those sorts of questions and one of the things one of the very first things that was raised that they said they're encouraged by but also surprised by was that every single meeting that they attended during the week began and ended with prayer now, I was really surprised that this hadn't been their experience before. Of course, every meeting begins and ends with prayer because we ought to be desperate as we seek to walk worthily in the Lord to be shaped by His desires, His plans and His priorities for our church. To say, if only every hour of every one of my days was more characterised by a hunger for what God wants and not what I want. See, it's an expression of our dependence on God, of saying, God, I want my life to be ordered by your priorities, not just a bolt-on. It means that we can't shortcut God out of our lives. It means that we can't just rely on ourselves. It means that we've got a hunger for what God desires. So, not hoping that God's will is going to come into line with mine or yours, but Lord, please shift my will that it might line up with yours. It is a totally countercultural way of life that we are continually laying down our right to decide, our right to choose, and redirecting the desires of our hearts. And our longings to match God's. But actually, it is so liberating. Because, of course, God's will is going to be much better than ours. And amazing news is that God isn't setting us up for failure, He doesn't just expect us to follow in His ways and then remain silent when when we ask. But the God of the universe, who brought everything into being, who has qualified, rescued, and redeemed you, who wants you to walk in the way with his Son, has also equipped you, given you his Spirit, that we might know his will. Finally, we follow Jesus with kingdom priorities. So what does it look like to please God in every way? Well, Paul spells out, Paul lists some examples for us, just following verse 10. Four things. Bearing fruit growing in the knowledge of God, demonstrating endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks. Now, I have to be really honest, if I had to list all the things that I was hoping would please God, this probably isn't the least. But here it is. Uh, The word pleasing here, it it means really prioritising what the king desires over everything else. So I think in many ways the Christian life is a bit like a, a flight board and air traffic control that when the lord jesus comes onto your radar every other one of our priorities needs to move down the board or even move off the board in service to making sure that it's god's priorities that we first seek to land all those other priorities might be fine and well but only in service to jesus because it turns out That if Jesus is the Lord of Lords, he doesn't just occupy one slot on the board, but the whole board is his. To paraphrase really poorly, uh, to paraphrase Karl Barth really poorly, it's why Christians actually make terrible allies, or should make terrible allies, not because they lack loyalty, but because their ultimate allegiance is to another king and his kingdom first. It's actually why a Christian should, shouldn't be predictably left, right or centre, but because our lives are governed not by a faction or a party, but the king of kings. Yet I think so often as we seek to pursue kingdom priorities, it often involves laying down of self and a picking up of God's priorities. We don't have time to go through all these, what they look like in detail, but just imagine. Bearing fruit means yearning for God's plan over our productivity. Growing in the knowledge of God means delighting in His love more than worldly approval. Demonstrating endurance and patience means trusting in God's timing over our own comfort. And giving joyful thanks means happily acknowledging His hand over our accomplishments. When I reflect on that list, I think right now, patience and endurance can feel really hard as i speak to people all around the place people are really tired it's understandable isn't it everyone's pretty worn out everyone's pretty worn out not only exhausted by the two years that have been but actually also in anticipation of the messiness of looking ahead when we're tired and we are tired and we look forward it's it's hard to see what god is doing sometimes we can be left wondering what is god doing we can be wondering what is god's schedule maybe you can even be tempted to think maybe god is running late how can we possibly face life in this way look what paul prays in verse 11 how being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. I wonder if you need to be strengthened right now by God's glorious might. Can you see the pattern? Our faith is in Jesus. Our hope is from God. The Spirit is the one who gives wisdom and the Lord is the one who strengthens. See, we can, we can live like this. We can walk with the Lord because it's not dependent on us. It's dependent upon God the one with the resources, that we can go to the one who bore the fruit of salvation by laying down his life, who patiently waited 30 years, can you imagine that, patiently waited 30 years before even embarking upon public ministry, who joyfully gave thanks to God at a meal, even though he was sitting with his betrayer who hungered for the Father's will in the garden, even through the anguish in sweating blood, who endured the cross in order that we may live, and who is enthroned right now, present always and returning soon. See, we can walk with the Lord, not because we're strong, but because He's strong. When we pack the bag to walk with the lord we go with gospel hope spiritual wisdom and kingdom priorities let's pray gracious god we thank you so much for the hope that we have that is not our doing but your doing alone we thank you so much that as we look to jesus and rejoice in his death and resurrection that we can celebrate that you have rescued us, that you have redeemed us. Lord, please help us to revel in that, to enjoy that, to share that, to proclaim that, that our anchor may be so firmly set in you. Lord, as we seek to walk with the Lord and seek to do that in a worthy way, we acknowledge that so often we trip up, we get distracted, that we can find it so hard to sift between the pressures that pull and push us in other directions. And so we ask us that in your kindness, as as you have promised, that you would give us wisdom. We thank you that as we ask that, you do so in the power of your Spirit. Lord, please help us to be growing in a desperate hunger for the knowledge of your will over what we or the world desires. And finally, Lord, we pray that with a clear vision that Jesus is the one enthroned upon the throne right now, ready to return one day, that all the priorities of our life would be reordered and resorted in line with your priorities and your mission to the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.